Years ago, there was a fire. A barn was burning down. And in that barn, there was some chickens. There was a, what we call a mother hen in the barn. And she called her chicks to herself, and they cuddled under her, and the fire burned. And later on, the owner found the chicken, the mother hen, dead. But underneath were the chicks, safe and sound. As we think about First Peter, Peter is writing to believers spread throughout Asia Minor who were going through difficulty. The difficulty they were experiencing was because they were going through the heat, the fire. Not because of governmental influence, just because they chose to live by having a new father, God. It experienced the sprinkling by the blood of Christ. It experienced the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of that, Peter reminds them, live well, because you're being protected by God. I want to read 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power under the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. The verses that we read, verses 3 through 9, are part of a larger section. Verses three of, verse 3 of chapter 1 through chapter 2 and verse 10. And in this section... <clears throat> Peter gives reassurance to God's people. In 1-2, Peter unpacked what it means to participate in the new covenant of Christ's blood in which his readers have entered into by the Father's choice and by the Spirit's sanctification. Covenant with God was a key concept in ancient Israel's self-understanding. Peter draws continuity between the old Mosaic covenant and the new covenant in Christ's blood as he applies elements of the former covenant to God's elect in this letter. Peter includes elements of the old covenant in the opening of his letter in chapter 1, 3 through chapter 2 and verse 10, but reinterprets them in reference to Christ. And I want you to see the continuity between the old 
and the new. The prophets before Christ spoke of Christ. That's mentioned in chapter 1, 10 through 12, which has now been preached by evangelists sent by the Holy Spirit, preached to Peter's hearers. You have the Holy Spirit and the prophets. The evangelist, you have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who came at Pentecost as a consequence of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension was the same Spirit who through the prophets of the Old Testament predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You have a Spirit involved with the prophets. You have the Spirit involved with Christ's sufferings. So closely does Peter associate the Spirit's work with Christ that he refers to the Spirit who was present in the prophets as the Spirit of Christ. We find also in this section, as we contrast with the old, the call to holiness was first stated in the Pentateuch to Israel as God's own chosen people. In chapter 1 and verse 15, we find that Peter's hearers are called to be holy. They're called to be holy like the one who begot them through the imperishable, enduring word of God. Like the Old Testament people of God, people refers to his readers as having been redeemed by a blood sacrifice, but with an all-important difference, that the blood is no longer that of animals, but the precious blood of the blameless and spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ himself. Through Christ, Peter's readers are placing their faith in no other God but the God of Israel. The temple was a centerpiece of the Old Testament covenant, or the Old Covenant. Here we find Peter saying that his hearers are living stones with the living cornerstone being the resurrected Jesus Christ himself. Christ became the touchstone of one's destiny. Acceptance or rejection of him will determine one's relationship with God. Again, the old and the new. And finally, Peter's readers themselves are endowed with the description of ancient Israel. They are the people of God, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's special possession, chapter 2 and verse 9. There's continuity between the old and the new. And we find that Peter ends his opening in chapter 2 and verse 10 with mercy. He begins it with mercy in chapter 1 and verse 3. Notice the opening saying in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. That would tie in with Israel's worship of God. Praise being central in Israel's worship of God. However, a distinction is made with the phrase, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, there is a relationship with Israel, but distinctly different due to Christ. Praise be to God. The word praise means worthy of blessing, 
speak well of, ascribe glorification. But praise be to God. Think of Israel, creator. He revealed himself in the Old Testament. But here Peter says he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, talked about God as father, the father of the people to whom Peter is writing. In verse 17, it talks about the father. The father being God, being the father of the people to whom he is writing. In 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 3, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, in verse 3, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you think of God as father, I don't know what comes to your mind, but read through the Gospel of John, and I know I mentioned this last week, with an intent of saying, how does Jesus and God relate? And that tells you a lot about God and what he is like as a father. But here he is, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph, Mary's husband, was not the father of Jesus Christ. God, as father of our Lord Jesus Christ, places him in a unique, role, one-of-a-kind person. And Peter is emphasizing that. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that we have experienced sprinkling by his blood. So we come into a relationship with God. In chapter 3, in verse 18... Christ, for Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Here's a group of people that are going through suffering and difficulty, and Peter reminds them, let's praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sins and gave you life. And he uses the word our. Our Father, Peter's Father, the Father of the hearers, but also the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they would think about the Old Testament, Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 13 and 18, where Israel was told, you need to look for a prophet who is coming. Christ is the one who came, God being his Father. Christ is unique. The one who is the life of Peter the life of Peter's hearers, the life of believers today. God, being the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is vital. It sets Christ apart. He is unique. He is worth suffering for as strangers. The people were suffering because of their faith in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Peter goes on in his great mercy. God acted. Then Peter's hearers and us today responded. Mercy is benefit which results from compassion. The Greek word translated mercy was used in ancient Greek manuscripts of the Old Testament. In Exodus 20 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 10, 
to translate the Hebrew word love, which is closely associated with God's covenant name. Again, a parallel between what we call the Old Testament and the New. God in his great mercy, in Exodus chapter 20, as the Mosaic law is given, we find that God says in verse 6, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Love, mercy. That is also mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 10. After the children of Israel wandered for some 30 plus years in the desert, Moses reaffirms the Mosaic law. And he again repeats, showing love to a thousand generations of all who love me and keep his commandments. Peter says in his great mercy, tied in with the Old Testament, God in his great love. We also find echoed in this language that God's mercy is great. In his great mercy. God in dealing with Israel was great. If we were to turn to Exodus 34 and verse 6, we'll find there that it talks about abounding love. In Numbers 14 and verse 18, again, abounding great love. In Psalm 86 verses 5 and 15, again, talks about God abounding Here we find God the Father in his great, abounding mercy acted. God pursued Peter. God pursued the hearers to whom Peter is writing. God pursued us today. He acted. We responded. Where would Peter's hearers be without God's Great mercy. Where would Peter be without God's great mercy? Where would you and I be without God's great mercy? When Peter talks about praising God and God acting in his great mercy, that's not something new. That's been true since the beginning of time. And Peter goes on in his great mercy and his great compassion. He has given us new birth. God acted again. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ acted and gave us, gave Peter's hearers, gave Peter new birth. New birth means to bring forth again, to regenerate. The same Greek word is used in chapter 1 of 1 Peter in verse 23, for you've been born again. Notice born again. Not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. These are the only two references in the New Testament of the new birth. It's in terms of new birth or born again. There's a different Greek word used in John chapter 14. 
when Jesus says you have to be born again. But it's interesting that God is eulogized. Not as creator, but as the one who has chosen to redeem by giving the new birth. Creation is not mentioned. That would have been mentioned in Israel's history. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us, Peter's hearers, Peter, us today, a new birth. Peter's concept of the new birth includes entrance into the new order of existence. Combining within that, or com- yeah, combining within that of divine parentage. Men, women, enter into new life as the children of its author. Thus for Peter, God is not father by virtue of his role as creator, but rather because of his distinctive role in the new birth of those whom he has chosen to set apart for the new covenant. In his great mercy, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, gave new birth. Simple question. Is God your Father? Have you come to faith in him? Let's stop a moment and think and ponder. This makes a difference in how we live. This makes a difference, and Peter is saying, this makes a difference in how you live with God as your Father who has given you new birth, or rather God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given you new birth. In verse 18 of chapter 2, we find that Peter says, Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect. Why? Because God has given you new birth. You enter into a relationship with him through Christ. You march to a different drummer, so to speak. Verse 23 of chapter 2 says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, referring to Christ. And Peter's saying, live the same way. In chapter 3 and verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter says to his hearers, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given you new birth. You've entered into a new relationship. God is your Father. You're identified with the author. And it's through Christ. God is the Father of Christ. I love what he says next. Giving us new birth into a living hope. See, we entered into a new order of existence. That's a new lineage, if you please. We have divine parentage. That results in a hope. Peter says, a living hope. A living hope, obviously, is contrasted with a hope that is dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, 
Paul as he writes to the believers in Ephesus. He says in verse 12, Remember that that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope, without God in the world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. It's living. It's possessed of vitality. It has vigor. It exercises the functions of life. It's a living hope. Hope has the idea of something that is in security, confidence with a guarantee. Like having $20,000 and you deposit it in the bank. And the federal government insures the bank. Is it up to 200000 now, I think? You think that's secure. Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. Physical birth is into the world that will eventually perish. Our new birth is into a hope that has vitality due to Christ's resurrection. Again, let's stop and ponder. Peter's writing to people who are going through difficulty because they're living in a culture that is not responsive to God. And as they go through difficulty, they hear this letter that Peter wrote. A living hope. We may suffer. We may lose our reputation. We may lose some of our possessions. But we have a living hope. They have a God who is their father, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives a hope. Now think about our own life. We may place our hope in the stock market. That's kind of fickle. We may place our hope in a friend. Our friend may die. Our friend may disappoint us. Peter says a living hope. We may place our hope in the weather. Hope it don't rain Thursday. But we have no control over the weather. But we have a living hope. We may place our hope in health. But our health may be gone tomorrow. We may place our hope in justice. And justice may may never be served on the side of heaven. So when Peter writes to the people, says, you've been given birth into a living hope. He's giving them something concrete they can latch onto, they can live in light of. So they lose a friend because the friend was killed because of his faith in Christ. They're going through a difficulty because their mate is not responsive. And their mate is not responsive because their mate is not a Christian. 
They have a living hope to grasp onto. He's given us new birth into a living, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How is this living hope, Peter writes about, possible? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. So he will raise believers. He will raise his elect who have a living hope. Christ has already been raised. There's evidence of his resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there was over 500 witnesses. There was an attorney years ago who set out, who was an unbeliever, who set out to prove that Christ never came from the dead. He wasn't using scripture necessarily. He was just tracing history, checking out. Did Christ really rise from the dead? His goal was to prove that Christ never rose from the dead. After studying all the sources, I'm not saying all, but many sources, he came to the conclusion that Christ came from the dead. He came to Christ and he wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone? A living hope that is due to a new birth, is through the resurrection of one who came from the dead. We don't say we hope or we believe he came from the dead. He came from the dead. There's evidence. God's elect, which are mentioned in chapter 1 and verse 1, died with Christ and were raised with Christ. Listen as I read from Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may be raised to new life. Ephesians 2, Paul states to the Ephesians, you were dead in transgressions and sins, but he says you were raised with Christ. Since we are in Christ, there is living hope due to Christ already being raised. The fact that Christ was raised from the dead means we have been raised from the dead, past. We will not experience incompleteness of this living hope until sometime in the future. God's elect died with Christ and were raised with him. And since God's elect are in Christ, there's a living hope since Christ came from the dead. No bodily resurrection of Christ, we have nothing. And then Peter has already stated this Christ who came from the dead, the one who gives us hope, a living hope, his Father is God.
In Romans 4 and verse 25, Paul talks about the fact that we have justification because of the resurrection of Christ. To illustrate, here's some punch in a picture. We're going to let the picture represent Christ. The punch is God's elect. Whether it be in Peter's day or today. So I take this picture representing Christ and I place it here in this chair. Where are God's elect? In Christ on the chair. So I take this picture and set it on the table here. God's elect are in Christ. Peter is saying, Christ has already come from the dead. You came from the dead with Christ. So you have a living hope. Because Christ already is raised. You look at parallel scripture, you were raised with him. And it's in that line of thought that Peter says, Praise be to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth. That's into a living hope that is dependent upon the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Imagine the encouragement to Peter's hearers. They live in a culture, a society that was contrary to God's will in many ways. And they experience difficulty as a result. And Peter says, you have a new birth. You have a living hope. And it's dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, you don't need to grieve as those who have no hope. When he writes to the believers in Thessalonica, because they're in Christ. Christ already came from the dead. That's why Peter can say to those who are going through suffering at the hands of a neighbor because of their faith in Christ. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fret. You have a living hope. You're anticipating something coming, and that is secure because Christ already came from the dead, and you're in Christ. Live and respond in light of that. I'll close with this. Whatever you are going through at this point in life, it may be a good thing. It may be a difficult thing. It may be somewhere in between. It may be a relational difficulty. It might be a financial difficulty. It might be a social issue. We live with certainty because we've come to faith in Christ. We're in Christ. We have a new father, the new birth. We have a secure hope, and it's secure because Christ came from the dead. Live in light of 
First Peter. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that years ago, when Adam and Eve chose not to trust you, that you pursued them. You pursued Noah, you pursued Abraham, you pursued Israel. You pursued Peter's hearers. You pursued us. And we thank you that because of that pursuit, we've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. May we this week live in our culture in light of the fact that We've been given a new birth. We have a living hope. And that's related to Christ's resurrection. We love you. We want to be faithful for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.